Praise the Lord. If you would turn to Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Excuse me. Title of my message is Know and Grow. Know and Grow. Think about that. Know and Grow. Colossians 1.9 says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share and the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, I pray that You would preach this message through me, Lord God. Hide me behind Your cross. Humble me, Lord. Lord, I pray that You speak Your Word, Lord, that You would build up and edify Your body, Lord. And I pray all these things in Your name, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is a part of the Bible where Paul is speaking to a church, and it's a church that's in an area called the Lycus Valley. And there's a river there, the Lycus River, that flows into the Meander, and there's three cities there. Colossae, Hierapolis, Laodicea. How many have ever heard of Laodicea in Revelation? So this is an area where these three cities sit in this little river valley, and Paul really... Uh, he's corresponded back and forth to this church, but he didn't found it. And he also um, really hadn't been there yet. And so he was going to visit this church. And you say, well, where did this church come from? How did they get started if Paul didn't plan it? Well, Paul was ministering in a place called Ephesus, which is about 100 miles away from here. And two different individuals that were in this church um, kind of made their way toward Colossae, and they actually started the church. One was Epaphras, and the other one was Philemon. So if you see the book of Philemon, or some people like to pronounce it Philemon. How many are Philemon type of people? Philemon, right? Okay, good. So Philemon actually comes from this city, and they start a church in his home, and Epaphras is the pastor of this church. And so they're ministering to these three cities, Laodicea, uh, Colossae, and Heropolis. And this particular city um, where this church is in Colossae, they're a new church, they have faith in Christ, and Paul is about to, he's writing a letter to help them grow in the Lord. How many know that everybody here, it should be our goal to grow in the Lord? And so Paul, as he begins to write to these churches, we, we need to be very careful to listen to what Paul is telling to this, telling this church to do in their life. Because our goal every week in church is to not have a social hour, even though socializing and fellowshipping is a critical part of being the church. How many believe that? 
But Paul really wants them to grow in the Lord. He wants them to be a strong, stable, solid group of believers. And so you can tell a lot about what Paul wants by looking at the prayers that he prays for the people. And this is Paul initially beginning to talk to this group of people, and he says, this is my prayer for you. And he says, For this reason, since the day that I heard about you, I have not stopped praying for you. Are you getting into the heart of Paul a little bit? I want you to, when you read Scripture, I want you to picture yourself here. Can we do that? Because sometimes we, we read the Scripture in second person, not first person. Not like, you know, he's talking to me. No, he's talking to a group of people a long time ago. Oh, he's talking to you and me. And he's saying, ever since I've heard about your faith, insert your name, I've been praying for you. Man, how would you like to get that letter from Paul? Ever since I heard about you believing in Christ, I haven't quit praying for you. That, that, uh, that ought to get shaken up a little. And he says, we continually ask God... Now, what would Paul ask and pray for me? And this gives me an insight as a pastor and you as believers of how I should pray for my family. How I should pray for the church, how I should pray for my friends, right? If Paul's praying this and this is the thing that he's praying, it's something that we should also pray, right? He says, my prayer for you is this. I'm asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Man, what a prayer. That's packed. I'm praying that God will fill you to full of His knowledge of His will. And even when you read that, it doesn't really have the impact unless you begin to understand what Paul is saying to this group of people. He wants them to have the knowledge of His will. Let me read the rest of it. So you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Do you see bookcase, kind of bookended, that whole phrase with knowing, having this knowledge of God. So I want you to have be full of the knowledge, And at the end he says, by having the knowledge. And in the middle it says, I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing good fruit. So something about this knowing is going to allow me to know God's will in my life. It's going to allow me to live a life worthy of what the Lord's done for me. And it's going to help me bear fruit. How many want that with everything in your heart. How many want your family to have that? To know the will of God, to, to be fruitful in their lives, to, to, to live a life pleasing to the Lord. And I think all of us want that. So we should be praying this prayer. Praying over our family that God would, would, would give us the knowledge that He's talking about here. Aha! Here comes the problem. This particular area... 
is one of the many areas where the East and the West kind of collide. Okay, it's a trading port where all of the wisdom from the East, all the wisdom from the West, all of these begin to converge in this church. And I will tell you, commentaries, you know, biblical scholars have a hard time figuring out exactly what group is influencing this young church. In fact, you'll read the best scholars on the book of Colossians, and they'll say we can't quite pinpoint which group this is. Okay, it's kind of a mixture of of Jewish uh, legalism that's affecting this church. It's a mixture of, um, of Greek philosophy that's really influencing this church. It's a mixture of Jewish mysticism that's uh, affecting this church. But here's the ideal church. And remember, put ourselves in this place. Okay? He's at a place where all of the philosophies of the world are converging and it's ruining the knowledge that he wants them to have in the Lord. You say, well, man, they had some problems back 2,000 years ago. I'm glad we don't. I think everybody knows to apply this to our lives. Because we've got something worse than the convergence of the East and the West in our culture. Our culture has something called the Internet. Right? And so we have a convergence of philosophies ideas. We have a whole collection of wisdom that's not the wisdom of the Lord. And their problem was, in fact, um, a lot of commentators will just put the heresy, the false teaching that's destroying the church and threatens their faith. You hear me? This threatened the faith of this church. And so the whole purpose of the letter is to make sure that they grow in the knowledge In fact, when he says knowledge here, he uses a very interesting word. The word is normally gnosis, which means to know. Right? It's just to be an awareness and to know. Like, I know a lot of things. Some of us are know-it-alls. Right? Say amen. To know is to gnosis. I just know things. How many of you know things? How many of you think people would say you know too much? (laughs) But we can know a lot, right? Some of those things that we know are helpful and relevant. Some things aren't that helpful. Some things are um, build us up and make us closer to the Lord, and some things make us farther away from the Lord. Well, the problem with the intellectuals of this day, those who were very well-versed in Greek philosophy those who were the intellectuals from the universities, those who were steeped in the, the, um, um, the mysticism of that day that made them... In fact, they called themselves special people. They called themselves the elect. They were called, in fact, they put it under one category, Gnostic. And that was what was affecting this church, this Gnostic heresy. And it's so hard to define because it was the collection of all the wisdom of the world in one place. That was the intellectuals. And so it's hard to identify because their ideals were so diverse 
And their filling was, in fact, when you look at Greek philosophy, they called it emanations from God. They had to try to find a way to solve how evil came into the world. So they began to solve it by saying there was a perfect God and there became emanations from God after Him in the form of different people and angels. And those emanations eventually got so far from God that that's where evil came from. And some emanations or eons made you closer to God and some made you go farther away from God. But there are all kinds of emanations. And this Jesus that these believers in Colossae were believing in was just another one of those emanations. He was another one of those eons of knowledge that helped you get closer to God. He was basically a good one. You say, man, I'm so glad that in our culture we don't think this way anymore. I want you to examine right now your minds and your hearts Because a lot of times we do like the Colossians, they were afraid that they might do, and that is take a little here from this philosophy, take a little here from this philosophy, take a little from this philosophy, take some from that philosophy, and all of a sudden you have what you call a syncretism or a mixture of all these philosophies about seeking God. And church, I'm warning you right now, I'm trying to... Do the work that Paul is doing in Colossae. And the work is, how am I going to remove you from all of the wrong ideas about wisdom that are in your head? He had to find a way to root them in purity. So he took the word gnosis, which is the word we get Gnostic, one who knows everything. And he says, I want you to have... I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will through wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And at the end He says, growing in the knowledge of God. And that word, He puts an E-P-I in front of it. Epinosis. Epinosis. You want me to give you the definition of epinosis? Because if I don't give you epinosis today... You're going to keep walking in worldly wisdom that's mixed with Christianity. And that's the problem in our culture. It's mixed so much with worldly ways. You'll say to yourself, God wants me to have purity in my life. Sexual purity. Well, let me mix that with my gnosis. That means I can live with somebody. And if I feel like I'm going to marry him, I can basically have relations with that That's exactly what's happening here. Every area of life is mixed with the gnosis of the world, the knowledge of the world, and there was no pure root in Christ because of all the other ideals that ruined the gospel. And so he puts epinosis, and here's what epinosis means. I want you to have precise, correct, accurate, pure, higher quality knowledge. Paul wants them to have epinosis. You have knowledge and wisdom that comes from the world and you've mixed it with Christianity. You've mixed it with the Bible. And Paul said, no, unless you have the epinosis, the focus knowledge, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're never going to be able to be rooted in Him. 
He's saying you have to throw away your ideals. You have to throw away your opinions. You have to throw away the wisdom of the world. You might even have to throw away Dr. Phil. He's not the latest one. Who's the latest one? Is there a new one? Doctor who? Axe? Axe? Doctor Axe, you might even have to throw away. How many know that we've got to be very careful because in our own wisdom and our own knowledge and our own intelligence, how many know that we can take a mixture or a syncretism of wisdom? And we can say, I know that this is what the Bible teaches, but I'm going to mix this with my knowledge. How many think we do that? And the Bible says that our heart is deceitful among all things. That these thoughts in our mind lead to destruction. And the Bible wants us to be rooted in His Word. He wants us to be rooted in this epinosis, this pure, higher level of knowledge. Paul comes in here and you, got, you think about this. There's a lot of audacity of Paul. To come into this place where these intellectual people who felt like they had the wisdom that was accumulated over thousands of years through the Greco-Roman philosophical culture, okay, the writings of Plato, Aristotle, all of these great philosophers, Stoicism, Neoplatonism was very big at this time. And all these philosophies of the world, Paul comes in and says, let me give you the real knowledge. Let me give you the accurate knowledge. Let me give you the pure knowledge. And if you don't have this knowledge and you're not rooted in this, the implication is you won't bear fruit. You mean if I mix the Word of God with all of these human philosophies, you're telling me I can't be fruitful in the kingdom of God? I'm telling you, you won't. You've got to throw away your opinions. You say, well, Chad, you're pretty opinionated. Church, can I tell you something? I threw all my opinions away. I received in me God's opinions. There were a lot of ideals I had before I came to the Lord, and I've had a pursuit now of 25 or 30 years. I don't know how long it's been, but I've been rooting myself in His opinions. And I've had to throw mine away. I had to throw every person's opinions away. The only opinions I hold on to now is what's God's opinion of my life, what's God's opinion of my situation. And I've spent my lifetime now trying to figure out what is God's pure knowledge. Knowledge, in fact, in other places says the, the uh, epinosis in the truth. The knowledge in the truth. And in fact, the place where it says um, they were unable to acknowledge the truth, same word. They were not able to have knowledge of the truth. And so he goes on here and he says, Colossians 2.6, listen to this. He's trying to encourage this church... Remember, this church, he said, they started believing. These are believers. And he's trying to tell the believers to be careful, don't get rooted, because these Gnostics, this heresy, is invading their city. It's trying to invade their church. It's trying to change their opinions and mix in the opinions of the world with the opinions of the Word of God. He's saying, don't do it. Don't allow it to happen. And in two six. Colossians 2.6, it says, So then, 
Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so these are believers, right? They receive Jesus as their Lord. Continue to live your lives where? In Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Do you hear that? Rooted. I need you to be rooted in Him. I need you to be built up in Him. I need you to grow in Him. And by putting the in Him on there, He's trying to tell them nothing else. Root yourself in the Word of God. Root yourself in Christ. And don't allow yourself to be rooted in anything else. And He says, Strengthen in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive. How are they going to take me captive? That's weird. Are they going to come in and tie me up and carry me away? Yeah, that's actually what they're going to do. But not physically. Don't let them take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human traditions. Woo! i got to stop there. Can I ask you a question? Are you rooted in assemblies of God? Are you rooted in Pentecostalism? Are you rooted in Baptist? Are you rooted in Presbyterian? Are you rooted in Episcopalian? Are you rooted in non-denominationalism? Are you rooted in Calvin? Are you rooted in uh, um, all these other writers? Are you rooted in Luther? Are you rooted in the Reformation? Well, there's some positive things there, but church, I'm rooted in the Apostles' Doctrine. I'm rooted in what they taught. I'm rooted in the Word of God. I'm rooted in this Bible. And you say, well, do I throw everything else away? No, I'm rooted in the Bible. If they shed light on the Bible, then they're rooted with me. But I never take man over the Word of God. Church, we've got to root ourselves in the Word of God. And if we don't root ourselves in the Word of God... We're going to go off on a wild goose chase with men. Hallelujah. God wants us to be rooted. And you say, well, where's that put you? God's called me to root you in the Word of God. And you need to be listening to every word I say because if it's not the Word of God, it's a bad root. I should have people examining my words to make sure that I'm giving a good, pure um, epignosis of the Word of God. So you could be rooted in that knowledge. Hallelujah. Amen. You better listen to my words. (laughs) But he says, God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives to live a life worthy. Filled with the knowledge of His will. Church, think how much false knowledge that we're filled with. Think how many false things that we're full of. And what God is saying is, I want to fill you up with a pure, a clear, a precise, a accurate knowledge of the will of God in your life. I want to fill you up with that. That's what Paul's prayer was for you to be full and understand the will of God. Let me ask you, do you know the will of God when you wake up in the morning? Do you feel like you have a really good knowledge of that? Because this is a progression. This is something God's calling us toward. He's actually called all of the ministry to be working with you to help you know the will of God in your life. Let's go on and look at another prayer of Paul. Listen to this, Ephesians 1.16, writing to the church at Ephesus. It says this, 
I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. Paul was a praying person, wasn't he? Here's what he's asking God, verse 17. Ephesians 1, 17, he says, I keep asking God, the Lord, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that He may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know, or that's the word epignosis again, that you may know Him better. Paul's prayer again, and he says, after that, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance and His holy people and His incomparably great power to us who believe the power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead, seated Him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but the age to come. Do you see what Paul's doing? Paul is talking to believers. You say, well, man, I got all the knowledge I needed when I gave my heart to the Lord. Paul's saying that there is a process of grace, a process of sanctification. This is important if Paul keeps saying, this is my prayer. We need to listen when Paul says that. His prayer is that your love may abound more and more in Knowledge, that's epinosis again. That your love may abound more and more in epinosis, knowledge, and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with fruit. This fruit is always with it, isn't it? Filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you see that every prayer that Paul has for these churches is that you will grow in the knowledge, the accurate, precise knowledge. Now what happens if it's not epinosis? What if it's just knowledge? What if it's not precise, accurate, and detailed? You know that if you're somewhere where the truth is not being preached and you root yourself in that, you're not going to bear fruit. You know, if your ideal is not rooted in Christ and it's not the truth in Christ, if it's a mixture of a lot of things, you won't bear this fruit he's talking about. He's talking about accurate, precise, detailed revelation of who God is and what He's provided for your life. How many think it's important that we need to know about God? We need to know as much as we can about God. There's not another subject that we need to know more about than about God. Yet we don't pursue it sometimes. Or we don't pursue it the right way sometimes. Sometimes we pursue it with our own ideas sometimes. Praise the Lord. Listen to Jesus here in Matthew. Matthew 7, 16, just to show you how important this is. And I want you to see the tree is here again, the fruitful tree. Jesus in Matthew 7, 16 says, By their fruit you will recognize them. Well, well, wait a minute. You know that word is epinosis? By their fruit you will know what kind of tree they are. You'll epinosis them. 
Do you pick grapes from bushes or figs or thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you, by their fruit, you will epinosis them, know them. Church, this is sad. This is somebody that rooted themselves in false ideas. You say, well, man, I could just say a sinner's prayer, probably. Get that and checked off my list and probably just live any way that I want to live. But Jesus is saying, no, when you say a prayer of faith and you confess and truly repent, what you're actually doing, church, everybody hear this, what you're actually doing is rooting yourself in truth. You're planting your root. You're, plant, you're allowing the root of the Word of God to be planted in your soil. And you're saying, I root myself in Him, the truth. And He's saying here that if you are a tree that's not rooted in the truth, then you'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. If you're not rooted in the epinosis. Everybody see that? He said, you must be rooted in the truth here. And then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what he's saying is, if you're weary and you're burdened and you're tired and you need rest, what he's saying is, root yourself in the Word of God. And I will know you. So he goes on and you say, well, man, what is the best analogy for me living this life? And I think John chapter 15 is one of the best. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I love the Word of God because it gives us simple analogies to live our life by. John chapter 15 is the uh, parable of this vine. And Jesus is trying to tell us how to live a life that is pleasing to God where we'll know His will and we're fruitful. And it says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Do you hear that, church? This is Jesus' words. See, we can plant ourselves in ideas. We can plant ourselves in denominations. We can plant ourselves in churches even. We can plant ourselves in philosophies. We can plant ourselves in a lot of things. But the ultimate telltale sign is fruit beginning to emerge from that tree. Because he says if it bears no fruit, it will be... Cut off every branch that does not bear fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he, or every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Do you hear that, church? And I'm going to go into this in a second. We've got to be rooted correctly to bear fruit. We've got, to, we've got to make sure we plant our faith 
in the right place because God wants to perfect this work of fruit. And it's not by our work, it's by His. And He says, No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in Me and I in you, you will bear much fruit again. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. Now I want to look at this tree because the tree to me preaches the entire message. You may have ever had fruit trees. It's a lot of work, isn't it? In fact, they'd say, when is the best time to plant a tree? When? Yeah, or yesterday. Yeah, exactly. And the reason why it said the best time to plant a tree is yesterday or 20 years ago is because it's something that requires patience to get fruit. You say, well, wait a minute, I don't, I'm kind of nervous. I don't know if I'm bearing fruit right now. And can I be honest with you, as somebody who's uh, put fruit trees in the ground, very young trees, it's a disappointment when you get that from the mail order company. How many have ever got it from a good mail order company? Now you buy it at Rural King, it's beautiful. It has buds on it, might even have apples on it. But if you get one that's really been done right, it'll come to you already pruned. And you'll pull it out of the package and it'll be just this ugly little stick. And I remember the first time I got one, I was a little surprised. I was like, wait a minute. Why are they sending me this ugly little bare stick? And then as you begin to open it and read it, it says, yeah, these have been pre-pruned. Don't get nervous. You know, this is how they come. This will grow faster than one that hasn't been pruned. And so, man, you start, uh, the first thing you do, and Wally, you planted a few, haven't you? First thing you do is you start thinking about that location. And you start preparing that soil and getting that soil right and putting amendments in it, you know, a fertilizer and putting the things in it that that soil is going to need that that uh, plant's going to like. Okay? And so God says that in order for saving faith, to be planted in your heart, your heart, that's the only part that you, your heart has to be prepared to receive it. Your heart has to be prepared by faith to receive that root. Now the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So here comes this root system of the Word of God. How many have ever had a tree that the soil just rejected that tree? You put it in, you're like, man, I did everything. And that soil just rejected it. Something about the tree and the soil just didn't mix right. But God is telling you today that the highest level of knowledge that you'll ever have in your life is to give a place for the pure Word of God to be planted in you. And man, you plant that little old root system. Man, I've got them in the mail and just a... Little taproot, maybe, depending on what kind of tree it is, a little root system, ugly little root system. And you put it in the ground, mound it up, you put a little mulch on it, you water it a little bit, you watch it. And you're like, oh man. Can I tell you something about a fruit tree? You say, how am I going to live this life? I've got this root here, and I'm expecting to bear fruit, but I'm the sinner. How many have ever felt that way? He said, it's not you that's going to do it, I'm going to do it. First of all, your roots already are the Word of God, right? Your roots are already planted in the Word of God, which can't fail. 
Now, when you get a fruit tree, get this. You got to get a hold of this church. A fruit tree, okay, takes a native root system and is usually grafted in order to have a really good fruit tree. If you want an expected fruit to come off of it, you usually graft that fruit tree. How many know that? And to graft a fruit tree, you find a root system that's native. And, and this really excited me because a long time I didn't understand that. I was like, God, where's my part at? What's my, you know, what am I doing? Where am I a part of this? God says of every nation, every tongue, every tribe, everywhere in the entire world, God is planting this root system in a native soil, and that soil is growing and bearing fruit. In fact, the beginning of Colossians, it says, this gospel is growing everywhere and bearing fruit. God can take anybody. He can take any man, any woman, any child. He can take any background. He can take any addiction. He can take any life. He can plant His Word in it. And it can begin to grow in that country, in that tongue, in that color, in that tribe, in that, in that man, in that woman, that child. Anywhere the Word of God is planted and it's a pure Word of God, it's going to grow and it's going to bear fruit. You can't stop it. But then you got to find the other half of the tree. The other half of the tree is what kind of fruit do you want? Like if I want, I'll tell you what I really like. I like golden delicious apples. Oh, I mean, they're like candy, man. How many have ever had golden delicious apples off of a tree? Sweet, just a little bit of, yeah, you probably, what do you like? What's that? Honeycrisp. How many like Honeycrisp? It's a man that knows his apples right there. But depending on what kind of apple you want, you have to cut and wound that tree. And whatever top part that you graft into the bottom part, they both have to be wounded. And living cells open up in that tree. And get this, it's almost like a trick you do against nature here. When you put both of those trees together, You take this native root that's not even a fruit tree, but it really does well in the soil. And then you take the top of it that bears a specific kind of fruit that I really want. I splice them together, bind them together, and those living cells begin to grow together. And it always takes on the personality of the type of tree I put on it. How many know that? Is that accurate with my botany there? Yeah, George is nearly a scientist, okay? (laughs) But get this. God wants us to bear the fruit of righteousness. So we allow the root of God to be in us, which is not going to fail. Then God begins to graft in this fruit into our life. These living cells join together, and now fruit is going to be born on that tree based on what I put on top of it. So now I've allowed Christ in my life. I've been grafted together and that tree becomes one. I become one with Christ. I've got His root system in the Word of God. I've got His fruit that's attached to my life. And now it's no longer me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And God begins to tell me the knowledge of Him. God tells me how I'm going to live in Him, how I'm going to breathe in Him, how I'm going to bear fruit in you, Chad. But here's the problem. Bearing fruit takes patience. In fact, you go out there that first year and it's disappointing. 
You go out there and you prune it a little bit, you make it look nice, but it's an ugly little tree. All right? And, and some of you are like, man, I just don't think I'm John Wesley. You know, I don't seem like Charles Spurgeon when I'm ministering. And, and we get disappointed because we're not bearing fruit that we want to bear in our life, right? How many have ever been there? But here's the thing, church. We've got world-changing roots, world-changing sap. We've got the expectation of fruit that's beyond this world that's going to grow in our life. But we have to patiently grow in the knowledge of God. Second year, you begin to look at that tree. Oh man, here's what happens, man. A little flower. A little leaf. How many think that's exciting? And, and man, you see that flower and it's beautiful and you know that, man, that fruit's going to come out of that flower one day, you know. And so people begin to see the flowers in your life. I mean, how many have ever had somebody for the first time say, man, you're different? And that flower's beautiful. It's, be- it's still not fruit though. But it's beautiful and people begin to look at you and say, man, what a beautiful life. You're so much different than you were before, but I'm still not bearing fruit. And then that leaf grows. And man, when you see that leaf, you begin to realize that, hey, those roots are strong enough now they're sending leaves out and now it can receive nutrients from the sun, the rain. And boy, you're starting to see this plant starting to get healthy. Right? And so man, that's what you should be doing as a Christian. God does this in every Christian's life. He begins to send out leaves. He begins to send out flowers. He begins to bud. And then they begin to pollinate. People begin to see your life. And man, those little bees are working hard, aren't they? They're pollinating and they're they're going to all these different... And you just begin to affect people's lives. How many know that? And all that pollination goes on. And man, everybody's affecting people with the Gospel. And then all of a sudden you say, well, wait a minute, man, am I growing? In the knowledge of God, there's only one way to know if I'm growing in the knowledge of God. Paul writes in Galatians, but the fruit, do you notice that doesn't say fruits? That's weird. It must be an error. The fruits of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. Well, you could maybe go and say, hey, I'm as loving as the next guy. I'm as peaceful as the next guy. I'm as self-control. Oh, no, okay, self-control. I've got fruit in my life. I just don't have several of them. Here's the problem. There's not many fruits. There's fruit. All of these things will begin to grow in our life. All of these things will begin to grow in our life. That's how we know. That's our proof that God's knowledge is in us because all of these fruit, singular, is beginning to grow and bloom in our lives. And God is beginning to do a work in our life. And you say, well, man, i got all this knowledge and this and that. The only knowledge that's going to matter on the day of judgment is are we bearing fruit? Have we stayed with God long enough? You say, well, man, I don't know if I'm patient enough to see that. This walk is a walk of patience. It means I'm going to find out about God. I'm going to grow in my knowledge of God. I'm going to grow in God's grace. I'm going to grow in God's love. I'm going to grow in God's peace. I'm going to grow in God's long-suffering. And it's going to be in me 
and it's going to grow up, and I'm going to mature in that knowledge, and man, you're going to be seeing God spouting out everywhere in me. I mean, oh, the fruit of that, and that's why we prune. We want more of that life-giving sap to pop those fruits out. Pop those fruits out. And church, I'm telling you today, if we're not growing in the knowledge of God, He can't flow through us in love and pop love. Faith manifesting itself in love. God can't flow through us and manifest Himself in peace. God can't flow in us us and manifest Himself in self-control. And God's calling us today to grow in the knowledge of God and allow His life-giving flow just to flow through us, church. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that our root would be on something precise and accurate, Lord, that our faith would be in You. And you only, Lord God. Father, let us examine our hearts. Father, this isn't just a one-time act, Lord God. It's continual faith, Lord God, that's growing, maturing, rooted in you, Lord. Father, I pray your blessings upon this church. If there be somebody, Lord, that's not rooted in you, Lord God, I pray that you begin to minister right now, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Church, I I pray that God would make us a church that uh, is getting better and better at rooting people in the knowledge of God. How many think that's important? Real true understanding of who God is. Real true understanding of what God expects from our life. How many know that one expectation is worship? Worship is something God expects from us. It's just the natural thing of being rooted in God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. I just want to ask you this morning. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. In fact, if you've never given your heart to the Lord, I don't think anybody's looking around right now. Except that one young man in the back. Look around never given your heart to the Lord today is your day that's you I just want to see that hand I'm not going to embarrass you you've never given your heart to the Lord praise the Lord we got 100% this morning isn't that awesome I hope that's true maybe you're here this morning and you say Chad I haven't been rooted in the word of God I've kind of picked and choose my faith is kind of resting on wisdom of the world around me I've mixed it with the things of God and I want it to be pure this morning I want to fully trust in Jesus Christ and his plan for my life and his purpose I want to know his will in my life that's you this morning I'm not going to call you up here just raise your hand just an acknowledgement praise the Lord hallelujah church we're going to open the altar up this morning and you need prayer for anything, we're here for you this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I close in a word of prayer this morning. I was just thinking, uh, 
when I was studying, <clears throat> I was thinking about that old uh, wounded tree that was really me and how I was fruitless and and just nothing in me was good nothing in me was able to bear fruit nothing in me was righteous nothing in me had the right ideas how many have ever been there and I just think of that gardener cutting that lamb and saying you know what you're going to be a fruit tree you're going to bear fruit. And I see that wounded cross. And I see that gardener just kind of cutting and wounding that tree. Then I say him putting them together and saying, Chad, you're going to bear fruit just like my son. How many know what a miracle that is that I became one, the God of heaven, and he gives us all that opportunity to become one with his son, to bear fruit that we otherwise could not bear on our own. And I'm so thankful every day that God can do something through us because of that. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. I I pray that you would continue, Lord. Lord, let us grow in your knowledge of you, Lord God. Not useless, worldly knowledge, Lord, but knowledge of you. Everything you've done for us, Lord God. Everything you've reserved for us, Lord God. All the hope, all the love, Lord. All the faith, Lord. Father, everything that you've appropriated to us, Lord. Oh, Father, that you would let your people grow in your knowledge, Lord, and that they would grow, Lord God. Father, that they would grow and bear much fruit, Lord God. Fruit, Lord God. Bless them today, Lord.